I've always heard stories about people with brain aneurysms and I always wondered, well, what does that feel like? And when I felt it, I was like, that's what it feels like. Um, I immediately crawled on the floor and began to projectile vomit. Um, my speech was getting slow, so I acted fast. I knew at that point that I was having a stroke and a ruptured brain aneurysm. They took me downtown. Um, they put a tube in to drain the blood out and I woke up and I was in the hospital downtown. But apparently everyone said I was talking throughout the whole thing and joking. So I guess I have a good sense of humor. They said I suffered from a SAH stroke. And within the first week or so, they did an angiogram because they wanted to see the placement of where my ruptured aneurysm was and they couldn't find it because there was that much blood in my head. Please, as a family member, don't take it personal. Someone is lashing out. It's, they're frustrated. There's a lot of things going on and you are the safe place for them to release that anger and just be very patient. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Hydrocephalus, a condition where there's a buildup of fluid around the brain, can be caused by injury to the head or by a stroke. In adults, it's fairly uncommon and it's a poorly understood condition. Treatment for it includes an operation to implant a shunt into the brain to help drain off any excess fluid. In this episode, we hear Wendy Teets' stroke story. Wendy is from Kansas City, and she suffered her stroke when she was 37. Previous to my stroke, I just got married. So I was planning a beautiful wedding in Florida. We went to Florida, got married, and came back. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a great time being husband and wife and focusing on my career. So life was pretty good before then. It was very busy for me with work. It was pretty stressful. I also was sitting in for a certification that's required. And with a name change, it just became stressful that it was down to the minute that they allowed me to go in and take a test with my name change. So that was kind of leading up to my stroke time. So yes, I was stressed out in December. I don't remember bits and pieces, but I do remember the beginning very vividly. I got up from the sofa and all of a sudden I felt a rubber band snap at the back of my head. And I've always heard stories about people with brain aneurysms. And I always wondered, well, what does that feel like? And when I felt it, I was like, that's what it feels like. I immediately crawled on the floor and began to projectile vomit. My speech was getting slow, so I acted fast. I knew at that point that I was having a stroke and a ruptured brain aneurysm. So I called 911. 
that fight or flight response kicked in. So my fight kicked in. I got the dogs caged up, went to the bottom of my stairs and waited for the EMTs to pick me up. And they took me to the hospital and they treated me as if I was A, drug seeking or B, they gave me a cocktail for migraine. So I felt a bit of a disservice in the beginning with my local hospital and that precious time was wasted. And as I was getting worse, they finally sent me off to get a CT scan. And when they came back, all I remember hearing was, you have blood all over in your brain. And I said, could I die? And they said, this is life-threatening and we're transporting you downtown. So I don't remember being transported and they took me downtown. Um, They put a tube in to drain the blood out and I woke up and I was in the hospital downtown. But apparently everyone said I was talking throughout the whole thing and joking. So I guess I have a good sense of humor. Wendy was in hospital for 19 days. They said I suffered from a SAH stroke. And within the first week or so, they did an angiogram because they wanted to see the placement of where my ruptured aneurysm was and they couldn't find it because there was that much blood in my head. And they gave it a couple more days and did another angiogram and it was the worst. When they got to my left side, oddly enough, it's a place where I've suffered migraines since I was 21. Once I got to that part, I became paralyzed and couldn't see and not responsive. And they came out and they were like, good news, bad news. We found where your ruptured aneurysm is. Bad news, we're going to have to do a full craniotomy with a clip procedure. And that's an 11-hour surgery. It went well. I woke up. And my left eye was glued shut for like three days. They said that it would pop open eventually. I remember after the surgery, there was something in me that was like, you've got to keep your brain going. You've got to keep your brain going. You can't be this statistic because with SAH stroke, one third die, one third have a disability and one third come out fine. And I want it to be that statistic. So I started writing on my phone constantly every day about how my day was going, how I was feeling. So after 19 days, you know, they released me. And then I would say two weeks after I was released, I had a fall. I got out of bed and I just fell My husband was an essential worker, so he couldn't stay with me. So when he went off to work, my mom would come over to watch me. And she said that she noticed that my speech was starting to slow down too, which are signs of hydrocephalus. So when I fell in combination with that, that's when I knew I had to go to the emergency room and get a scan. I had hydrocephalus, so they had to operate on me the next day and insert a VP shunt, which I will have for the rest of my life. That was actually a worse surgery than the full craniotomy, which is a very invasive surgery. 
it's kind of an unintended consequence of having the type of stroke I have. My neurosurgeon was expecting that this could happen. There's a percentage of people who do not. So she didn't feel like doing that shunt procedure unless she knew for sure I had it. And I was that statistic that had it. I had no neuro deficits, which was great. My recovery was mainly just rest and heal. And then they wanted me to do physical therapy because my balance was off. It was really hard for me to walk. Unfortunately, I had my stroke towards the end of January and COVID really started hitting my area probably around February. So my physical therapy, they would not take anyone. So I had to wait until May to start doing physical therapy. So I just decided to, you know, boost my brain power. So I just engaged in any kind of brain exercise activities that I could. I learned calligraphy. I did word search, you know, just anything to keep my mind going. Wendy has found the coronavirus lockdown a difficult time. You get a second chance at life and, you know, once you get that second chance, you just want to go out and just like run out and say I'm free and enjoy life, you know, as much as possible. And being in a lockdown, you really can't do much at all. So, you know, during my recovery time, I was you know, high risk. So I couldn't go to any stores. So I was pretty much just locked up in my place. As it got warmer, I did go on some walks. And, you know, now I've been able to do, you know, some activities with friends, which has been great. I would say about mid-April, I was determined to go back to work. I felt that I needed to start working. So I got clearance for my neurosurgeon to get me back to work. My company is working from home for the foreseeable future. So, you know, that's kind of nice that I was able to resume work from home and not have to worry about commuting or, you know, I can take brief pauses if I need to. But when I jumped into work, it was as if I never lost any sight of what I knew. So it was good to go back to work. Doctors are still unsure about what caused Wendy's stroke. My type of stroke, it's hard. A lot of times it can be hereditary. My mom's aunt had the same type of stroke. My neurosurgeon says sometimes it's just a fluke that it happens. For me, Based on where that ruptured aneurysm was, was the exact location of my migraines that I've been suffering since I was 21. I believe that was a correlation. I believe that I had a migraine. Each time I got stressed, it kind of bulged and bulged. And finally, towards the end of December, when I was stressed out, it just ruptured because I've not had a migraine since this happened. My husband has been wonderful, very supportive, you know, making sure that I'm taken care of. It was very hard for him to 
digest this ordeal that happened, you know, just to get married and then see your wife, you know, laying in the hospital. And, you know, he kind of wasn't handling it very well when I was in the hospital. But when I came out, you know, and to this day, you know, I was making sure I'm okay. My parents have medical backgrounds, so they were kind of in the medical mode where they were just keeping track of how I was doing. And um, my mom came over every single day during my recovery just to talk to me, make sure that everything's taken care of. So I've had pretty good support from my husband and my family. 2020 has been a difficult year for Wendy. Her stroke was serious and potentially lethal, and the pandemic prevented her from getting one-to-one physiotherapy early on in her recovery. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Wendy on trying to learn new skills during lockdown. I even downloaded, I think it's Duolingo, and um, try to start learning another language, which I know sounds odd for someone recovering from a stroke to try to take on another language. I did very well for the first week and and then I was like, I'll pick it up a different time. But it was enjoyable, but it was too much. I just couldn't remember. And on starting a blog. I want it to be as real and authentic as I can. And that's opening up every sore that I feel, my emotions. You know, I suffered from nightmares constantly every night where I was pronounced dead, you know, in my dreams. And it was post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, I went through bouts of, you know, why didn't this thing just take me? There was a lot of darkness. Let's hear how Wendy copes with the day-to-day effects of her stroke. I have good days. I have bad days. I'm really amazed that I've come this far, to be honest, but I'm functioning fairly well. I keep my mind going at all times. I'm writing a blog to share my experience, hoping that it reaches out to other people who are kind of in the same situation because I've stumbled across some places where people are kind of lost on what to do or how to feel. So I kind of went into patient advocate mode. But other than that, I mean, I feel great. I'm just so happy that I'm alive and I'm wanting to use this second chance of life to really make an imprint for other stroke survivors. Initially, when I was released, I did a lot of word search. I did some puzzles. I downloaded some apps on my phone where, you know, you're just kind of matching things. It's hard to read when you first get released. It's hard to, you can't read a book. It's just impossible to read. It gives you a headache. So I had to keep things to a minimum. I practice writing in a journal about what was going on to keep my brain going. And the more my brain was starting to function at a better rate, I 
oddly enough, started reading medical books. I'm in the medical healthcare field. So I was reading up on medical information just to keep myself fresh and just trying to challenge myself. I even downloaded, I think it's Duolingo and um, try to start learning another language, which I know sounds odd for someone recovering from a stroke to try to take on another language. I did very well for the first week and and then I was like, I'll pick it up a different time. But it was enjoyable, but it was too much. I just couldn't remember. Wendy wanted to help other survivors, so she began to share her experiences online. It's brainstrokevoyage.com. And when I had my stroke, I went to other blogs for help. And there's a lot of wonderful blogs out there. I feel like maybe they picked up and start writing their blog when things were more happier and, you know, they were more fulfilled. So not to discredit them, but it seemed like it was sugar-coated. So I wanted to start my blog and I want it to be as real and authentic as I can. And that's opening up every sore that I feel, my emotions. You know, I suffered from nightmares constantly every night where I was pronounced dead, you know, in my dreams. And it was post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, I went through bouts of, you know, why didn't this thing just take me? There was a lot of darkness in the initial stages. And so I wanted to be real with my blog and kind of just share my journey of, you know, I flash back between, you know, walking down the aisle to being carted off in an ambulance to seeing my husband crying as I'm walking down the aisle to, you know, my husband crying, seeing me in my bed. So I want it to be very authentic and real so people could relate, but I always end it with something positive because, you know, life can go in a good direction if you have the willpower to, but I mean, most people don't walk out of a stroke and are just immediately happy people. You know, it's a struggle. You have to go through grief stages. And my theory is, you know, they say there are seven stages of grief. Well, it does, after you hit the seven, you don't just stop. It goes through a consistent loop and you have to learn how to manage each one of those grief steps as they happen. So that's basically the point of my blog. It's just me being very raw and authentic. She's also a frequent user of Instagram. It's allowed me to connect to other people. I use it as a platform to send positivity. I always do quotes. That's where I'm more positive. And I also share when I have my blog out. But, you know, it's helped me connect to other people. And I've talked to other people, you know, from there. So it's been a good platform to find people that are kind of in the same situation, but that's more so a platform that I use to give encouragement. 
and Wendy thinks you shouldn't try to block out your post-stroke emotions. For any stroke survivor, you are going to go through several emotions and that's okay. Allow yourself to have those emotions. Don't think that you're wrong for thinking thoughts that you shouldn't think. It's okay to have survivor's guilt. It's a process. And in order to recover, you have to let things naturally come to you. And you have to keep pushing yourself. One of the things I did was I kept a journal and it consistently allowed my mind to let out these emotions. So feel it. You don't suppress your feelings. Keep yourself occupied as simple as, you know, like I've mentioned, crossword puzzles, search puzzles, something to keep your brain occupied at all times. Because sometimes you can kind of go in a dark path, but you know, you were given a second chance and, you know, look at that as you were a fighter, you made it. That's your second chance. You were a fighter. So fight, do what you can fight to make it worth it. And for family members, essentially just be there as hard as it is to see your loved one in that position Give that loved one a little space, loving care, and go off of how that person's feeling and use that as a compass of how you're going to engage with your family member. But one thing I want to let family members know that, you know, there were periods where I lashed out at my family when I was in the hospital. And it was because I was frustrated. I had tubes all over. I was drugged up. I was in pain. And they always say that you take out your anger on the person that you feel the most safe with. So I took a lot of anger out on my poor mother. So she understood it. Please, as a family member, don't take it personal if someone is lashing out. It's they're frustrated. There's a lot of things going on and you are the safe place for them to release that anger and just be very patient. Despite her serious stroke, Wendy is very open and honest about her experience and continues to share her thoughts and feelings with other stroke survivors through her blog. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. The next morning I got up and yawned and then I heard this loud popping in my ear. And then it's like, uh, if you've ever been on a roller coaster, it kind of, the world just kind of flipped up upside down on me. My right leg just like collapsed. I tried to stand up and then I tried to talk. And then I tried to get up and uh, get to a phone. My body was just like overheating. My heart started pumping really hard. And then the last thing I remember is I slammed face forward into the ground. Please don't forget to subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know a stroke survivor and there's a story to share, please do that. Contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listening.